Hi, everyone. We're calling the order at 634. We're going to start with roll call. So please say your name when you are here. Gildas Chung. Gab uh, Commissioner Gabby. Uh, is Commissioner Gabby here? Nope. Okay. Uh, Commissioner Jonathan Stutz. Here. Uh, Commissioner Jenkins. Here. Awesome. Commissioner Chloe. Here. Commissioner Shriram. I'm here. Awesome. Did I say your name correct? Yeah. Get it awesome. Thank you. Commissioner Christian. Here. Awesome. Welcome. Uh, for you. staff, for staff, Parks and Community Services Director Lynn. Uh, Human Services Manager Jen Boone. Here. Human Services Coordinator Annie. Here. Youth Services Coordinator, Coordinator Reggie. Here. Human Services Coordinator Amanda. Here. And hum Homeless Outreach Coordinator Melly. Is it Melly or Mealy? Melly. Melly, thank you. Yeah, here. Awesome. So with that, we'll start with our land acknowledgement. And Commissioner Melantha will read the land acknowledgement tonight. We acknowledge that the Southern Salish Sea region lies on the unceded and ancestral land of the coastal Salish peoples, the Duwamish, Muckleshoot, Puyallup, Skykomish, Snoqualmie, Snohomish, Suquamish and Tulalip tribes and other tribes of the Puget Sound Salish people. And that present day city of Kirkland is in the traditional heartland of the lake people of and the river people. We honor with gratitude the land itself, the first people who have reserved treaty rights and continue to live here since time immemorial and their ancestral heritage. Heritage, excuse job. me. Oh, no, you did great. It's, it's, a, it's a little tricky, especially near the end. Um, do we have a volunteer for next, next month? I maybe do. I can do it. <laughs> Thank you, Jonathan. Jonathan has us covered for next month. I encourage our new commissioners to give it a gander. And just inviting you to do so. You're not pressured to do so. Um, do we have a motion to approve the April 25th, 2023 meeting minutes? I motion for approval. So we have a motion. Do we have a second? I'll second. I'll second. Awesome. We have two seconds. I like it. Um, for the record, who was first? So I can put down who wants to have their name in the minute. Uh, I, uh, it was not Christian, it was someone else. Okay. Was, uh, okay, awesome. Okay, so um, motion to approve, excuse me, uh, the vote is to approve the April 25th to, to, to 2023 meeting minutes. Uh, if you vote to approve, please say yes or thumbs up. Aye. Uh, yes. Sweet. Yes. Yes. Aye. Anyone? 
saying no, please say no. Any abstentions? Okay, motion passes. Uh, Reggie, is there any guests here tonight? There are none. Awesome. And tonight we have uh, a very special guest, Executive Director Nora Adam and Board Chair Jennifer Carls joining us to talk about the work of Immigrant Women's Community Center. They have a presentation prepared for us, which will be followed by a Q&A. Welcome, Nora. Welcome, Jennifer. And thank you for being here. Thank you very much. And uh, are we uh, ready to start their presentation or help them set it up? Yeah, I think I think I'm able to share my screen if that's okay. This is Jennifer speaking. Hi, Jennifer. Um, I, let me just make sure I can get that going. Can you all see that? Yeah. A, okay, great. Looks great. Wonderful. Okay, good. Well, hi everybody. I'm I'm Jennifer Carls. Um, I am a founding member of the board of Immigrant Women's Community Center, uh, which we refer to as IWCC. Um, and so I'm just going to share a little bit about the organization. So, you know, to help you familiarize yourselves with what we do in the community and, and the work that we're um, engaged in. And then I'm going to let Nura um, share more details about uh, what that work looks like. So IWCC was formed in April of 2020, so it was interesting timing <laughs> um, for, for us to, it was not the plan to launch at the beginning of a, a pandemic, but that's how that worked out. Um, so our, our work is to uh, really to come alongside women and uh, their families and empower them with information and um, help in uh, navigating complex systems. So our mission is to provide community building, training, we provide direct services, and primarily for immigrant and refugee families. Um, and we work to help them promote financial independence, emotional health, and, and physical well-being. And we hold the values deeply of independence, humanity, inclusion, self-determination, and ensuring uh, the dignity of, each, of others is protected. So we do all of the work that we do in very um, specific ways that are culturally sensitive and address uh, language access needs, ensuring that we're living into those values and um, providing support for families who are, who are new to our community. So um, the services that we provide and the programs that we offer kind of fall into any of these four categories at this point in time. So we do case management. Um, we have case managers on staff and uh, they're focused on newcomers to our community and immigrant families that, um, that come to IWCC. Um, all of our staff uh, represent the um, communities that they serve. Uh, so uh, we are very, um, it, it is our highest value to be culturally and linguistically appropriate and um, support the basic needs of, of the families that we're serving. Um, we also do referral and resource management in, in the context of our case management services. Um, 
And then we also do an extensive amount of community outreach. Um, what happened during the, the pandemic is that we shifted to providing a lot of information and support uh, related to COVID. We're still doing uh, that work and um, we're helping with pop-up vaccination clinics and really ensuring that um, people who English may not have been their first language were able to access information about uh, the about COVID and about the resources that were available to their families. Um, and that was uh, that was really important work that we did and um, is ongoing. Um, Nura is also involved in hang bias surveys, and on a monthly basis, we do storytelling, uh, community gatherings where people who um, have a, an immigrant story share their their experiences, their lived experiences with the community, and it's really a way of of growing um, uh, understanding of people who have different experiences from one another and. Um, it's just a really powerful opportunity. And I really uh, encourage you all, if you have time to someday um, attend one of our storytelling events. Um, we also are uh, beginning to offer mediation services and conflict resolution services. Um, so that's part of our peace building uh, efforts. And then we do multiple workshops that are often uh, based in the needs of the community um, and uh, are, we try to be really responsive to what those needs are. And we, we do all those in, also in partnership with other community-based organizations. Um, that's, a, that's another value that um, partnerships in the community are something that NERA works really hard at. So. Um, so we wanted to just talk a little bit about um, the City of Kirkland Digital Equity Grant that we received. It was um, just an absolutely, uh, it, it came at a perfect time and it was so important for our community and the people that we're serving. So IWCC was able to provide language access and technology for immigrant and refugee families and um, also has supported organizational uh, work that IWCC needs to be able to provide those services. Um, I, you may recall that um, there was a also kind of an unexpected uh, influx of refugee families from Afghanistan. Um, and we have done an extensive amount of work to support uh, those families and the newcomers that are coming to our community from Afghanistan. And these kinds of, um, this kind of grant opportunity for us was incredibly important to be able to, to support the people who were coming. Um, and that was an influx that wasn't really expected. So it be became a bit of an emergency, but this kind of funding was really um, able to help us support um, a broad uh, population of people. So the, the things I wanted to highlight um, were the critical language access resources that we were able to provide, um, both for informational and educational opportunities, um, we've had multiple uh, mental health, uh, we have a mental health program that we uh, provide workshops and supports for families, um, and we've been able to provide interpretation, simultaneous interpretation when things are virtual and translation for that project, so that has been incredibly important. Um, we also have provided technology access for families, 
And I just have to say, and I know that Nura will will touch on this too, because um, the the staff at the city of Kirkland have been amazing in their support of our work and our efforts, and um, can't say enough wonderful things about the help that Annie and Jen have provided and the support that they've provided throughout this um, process for us. So that's been really, um, really amazing collaboration and partnership, which we're really grateful for. So I'll just touch really briefly and then I'll turn it on to Nura that there are ongoing supports that um, IWCC will need to be able to continue to provide the, the language access and translation services uh, that are so needed in our community. So that's a space that we'll be continuing to look for supports in, in, um, from our partnerships. Um, we're also looking to uh, for partnerships to create, co-create and embrace uh, event or co-create events that embrace spaces of belonging. Um, and this is something that Nora can touch on as well. And then um, we're, we're finding that one of the things that we have, that we're really mindful of is the importance of building community and those places of belonging. And one of the, one of the ways to do that is through um, an extensive volunteer network so that people are meeting each other and learning from each other. And um, it's part of why we do the storytelling events, but also um, having volunteer, a volunteer force that um, is able to support events or opportunities that arise to, to participate with a community only continues to build um, understanding and community. So we're really looking for ways to support more volunteer coordination. There are a lot of people who want to volunteer um, with IWCC as a small organization that does become a little bit challenging to manage that. So that's another um, kind of place for ongoing supports that, that we're looking towards. So um, Nora, did you want to jump in here and, and I'll let you say um, some things. And if you want me to go back to a slide. You know, just let me know that too. Absolutely. Um, thank you, Chen, for um, sharing the overview work that we do at IWCC. And thank you all for having us here today. Um, it's it's incredible. This meeting is really unique and, and, and important to IWCC because the efforts of IWCC started from the city of Kirkland. So when we talk about the history of IWCC, we always look back to 27 years ago when I met two other immigrant moms in, in Kirkland, right? Um, and, and the stories we shared and where, were, where there were gaps and challenges uh, for new immigrants that come to our region. Um, so whenever we talk about the history of IWCC, the city of Kirkland is constantly mentioned. Um, so you all have taken a big part of the history of this organization. Um, like Jennifer mentioned, um, we are um, uh, a grassroots organization and we are evolving. Uh, we're pretty young, but we have grown pretty fast in the last year and a half due to the um, uh, large um, refugee communities that were coming from Afghanistan, um, mainly since August of 2021, and most recently from Ukraine, uh, and uh, some from Syria and other parts of the world. Uh, but we also support 
immigrant community that are already living in Western Washington. Um, with, uh, during the pandemic, people were struggling uh, with rental, energy bills, and so on and so forth. Our focus is to fill in the gaps. So we are mindful about partnering with other community organizations that provide specific services for the community so that we are able to um, uh, fill in the gaps uh, that are not being uh, addressed or when there are no resources in other community partners uh, who provide these services, then we step in. Apart from the case management that Jennifer has uh, mentioned, we also focus on the healing journey of the whole family. So our services are holistic. Um, so many, nearly half of the families are refugees. So they have escaped um, and experienced a lot of trauma. Um, we also work with victims of domestic violence. We work with uh, a lot of uh, single parents, single moms. Um, and um, at times there are, we work in really creating a healing space within the family and, and then making sure that each and every family feels welcomed and belonging in their city or the neighbors that they live in. And we make it intentional not to isolate the immigrants. So we make sure that they are connected with their neighbors, with their cities, with the larger community, and that they are integrating well, uh, that they understand uh, the cultures of their new country. And, and our providers and communities also understand the cultures of their new communities that are coming uh, in this region. So we, we make sure that uh, that we bring people together in a way um, that they can meet each other where they're at and understand and be sensitive of each other's cultures and, 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 and ways of life. I have to say, <clears throat> before I, 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 I go deeper into this, I really, we wanna thank Jennifer and Annie here um, because um, this grant would not have been possible without them on behalf of the city of Kirkland. Um, being a grassroots organization, we don't really have the funds to use upfront and then be um, in a reimbursement model. And so what Jen and Annie have done uh, was that they, they took the time to listen to our needs and, our, and the barriers um, for all of the grants that were available in the cities that we could not apply for two years ago uh, because we did not have the upfront capital to um, utilize and then be reimbursed for. Um, they could have easily walked away and said, well, sorry, you know, this is, this is how things are. Uh, we're sorry, we can't help you um, next time, right? <laughs> but what they have done was that uh, they took that challenge and really, um, created an equity for organizations like ours. And that is what the city of Crickland has shown us as IWCC, is that the city is not gonna walk away uh, from small organizations like ours, uh, but they're, 
they have amazing people like Jen and Anne and Annie who will listen and who will hear the barriers and who will say, well, wait, we can, we can work this out, right? Uh, so we were able to build this incredible relationship and, and, and get the funding in installments. So that way, when we were able to spend part of it, we could report back and then get the second part. This is incredibly valuable to our community. And as someone who is an entrepreneur and founded an interpreting agency over 17 years ago, I know the importance of language access. Uh, in fact, I, I believe that language access is a human right. And so uh, we were extremely, um, uh, really, we felt um, that this was the biggest gift that our, our community would have received is the language access. It has given us um, the ability to uh, do simultaneous interpretation, to do translations, um, uh, very impressive, right? Uh, communities come in and they were oftentimes really surprised how small organizations like ours is able to produce such an incredible impact for the community. And we always uh, make sure that everybody knows that credit belongs to the city of Bellevue, uh, city of Kirkland, rather, sorry. Um, so thank you uh, for, for the city of Kirkland for the digital access and the language access and for your leadership in, in equity and making sure small organizations like ours thrive and that we're able to help the community uh, in a holistic way and uh, culturally and, uh, uh, and linguistically um, being able to meet the community where they're at. Um, so, so thank you, Annie and Jen, and thank you, the city of uh, Kirkland uh, for, for carrying us on, on this amazing uh, space um, and for helping us help the community. <clears throat> what we are also doing right now is focusing on um, not only welcoming the community and building a safe space, but really extending that space, a space of belonging, so that every new immigrant or an existing immigrant who feels uh, isolated or not or felt that they don't belong uh, to their cities or neighbors, that they have, that they, <clears throat> that, that they can connect with their neighbors, they can connect with their cities, that they are not strange to the people around them. Um, so that is an area that we are expanding in right now to make sure that every immigrant <clears throat> feels that they belong to whatever city they're residing in and that we help bridge those gaps and bring the communities together, neighbors and the cities, so that people feel that they're part of the fabric of, of this incredible region that we live in. Um, the partnerships continue to expand um, with the city's grants, um, other community partners, uh, incredible um, and generous Washingtonians who donate to the cause uh, that we are doing for the community. So we are um, really in a, in, a, in a beautiful space where younger people are coming in and sort of taking this organization to the next level. So um, there's no stopping. We continue to evolve, we continue to grow. Though we are an immigrant women's community center, we have two incredible young men, um, our community, uh, our program coordinator and our director of, of communication who 
do such an incredible work for this community and so many other um, men of all ages uh, that, that work alongside us and, 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 and believe in the cause and, and the work that we are doing. Um, <clears throat> have, I, have I left out anything, Chen? Are you talking to your Jen or me? Oh, oh, oh Jen for Carl's. Okay. <laughs> but Jen, please uh, come on in too and, and, and let me know, Jen I, and Annie, if, if I, if I my, uh, have forgotten or missed out anything that's that's sorry. important for me to share with all sorry. of you here today. Sorry, Nur, my, my mute button was hidden by the presentation, so I couldn't get to you fast enough, sorry. Quite okay. No, I think that... Um, I think just if there's, you know, questions, um, and then we'll, I can um, provide some information. Uh, it, it looks like Jory already um, gave you a link to the website, but I can give you a link to the homepage where you can find all of the information about what we've talked about tonight. And then we will figure out about when our next storytelling session is. Nora may know that stuff for head. Fantastic. We'd love to have you all join our storytelling telling. It's, it's, it's an incredible way uh, for our community to connect. And some of the storytellers, I have known them for over a decade, and I didn't know their story. So uh, learning their story was just, oh, amazing. Uh, it creates that human connection where, where we are not an immigrant and not an immigrant, but just the human beings and, and share those experiences of being human. Um, so we invite you to come. And we also have an archive um, of storytelling uh, in our website. So if you're interested in looking through them and see what sort of stories were shared in the past, we invite you to uh, also check out our website. Thank you so much. Um, to follow up with uh, what Jennifer just said, uh, what Jenna had said, <clears throat> Nora said, are there any questions for our great guests today? I just have a general question. Uh, how are things, you know, we hear a lot about a lot of immigrants at the border and stuff like that. You know, there's a lot of different regions like Venezuelans and other kinds of populations too. So I'm just curious what you're seeing, you know, in the community in terms of the kinds of immigrants and if their needs are changing as a result of, you know, who, what kind of populations are coming. So I'm just curious if you could, you know, uh, see what you can tell us more about what you're seeing on the ground. Yeah, thank you. That's a very good question. We have not yet seen um, the, the community that you just mentioned that uh, are probably part of our um, community here. Uh, but we do um, have these conversations with other community partners that have been exposed um, to uh, to, to the communities that are newly arrived uh, from Venezuela and other parts. Um, so we are actually starting a conversation about um, how to build capacity and how to work together um, and, and, and be prepared for when the community approaches us um, to be able to uh, welcome them and, and see uh, how we can share the needs of, of the community. 
just a follow-on question. This is more because I just don't understand how this works, but how are decisions made about immigrants coming into the state or regions and stuff like that? I'm just curious because, you know, I think, uh, you know, is it just people just show up? Are there like commitments made by cities and states and stuff like that? And that's how, you know, more immigrants and refugees show up. How exactly does that work? Do you have, you know, I'm curious. Hmm. Uh, I will give if anybody else has um, an answer to that. Um, I don't quite know all the answers to that. Um, um, <clears throat> a fair amount of the people we work with are newly arrived refugees, meaning that they come here through a resettlement agency. Um, and, and that once the resettlement agency's agreement sort of comes to an end, um, by then they would have signed a lease in a new place and some of them might not even know what they're signing and what amount and might not even have a stable job to, to pay the rent. Um, so when they reach out to us, they're already struggling to meet their first month of rent after their three months have lapsed. Um, and so we, um, we work with them to try to get them into employment um, um, that are paying fair wages and that are uh, hiring immigrants with limited language um, ability, right? And so uh, we're expanding our partnerships in, in, in the employers that uh, we partner with that hire the newly arrived immigrants. And we advocate for them um, to be able to be making a livable wage, right? Because at times both parents are working um, 10 hours a day and they're barely meeting um, rent and utilities. Um, and, and so um, it, it could be really challenging. And what, what we do is we partner with them and we talk about the short-term goal and the long-term goal. So the short-term goal is kind of making sure the family is, has a roof over their head, you know, they have food, the children are going to school and thriving. Um, <clears throat> And the long-term goal is, for example, um, so, so many of the immigrants we work with have either been doctors or nurses or engineers in uh, social workers in their countries. And because they come here um, and there's a language barrier, they are not able to uh, easily transition into those um, careers. So we work with them to um, see how we can um, uh, you know, go with them to a college and uh, sit with a, cons uh, a counselor, somebody who would help them walk the steps, who would uh, evaluate their transcript from back, uh, back home and get them involved in ESL classes, um, technology classes, et cetera. Um, for example, there is um, a Ukrainian mom that we are working with right now, and she wants to go to Pasteur University. She wants to be a naturopathic doctor. And she has some credits from her country, but not enough to get her where she needs to go. So I, um, I will be going with her to the university and, and we'll be sitting with um, the admissions and see about a way uh, of us evaluating her credits from Ukraine um, and, and seeing how she can uh, reach her goal of um, uh, becoming a naturopathic doctor. Her English 
is amazing. She's been going to ESL classes. I'm always impressed. I don't even need an interpreter when I meet with her monthly. Um, so it's 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 amazing um, uh, the resilience of of this incredible community as they come in. They have goals. They um, they they want their kids to thrive. They want to be part of the community. They want to work. Oftentimes we hear, I don't want to be a burden to my new country. I want to work. So can you help us get employed? And so when they say that, we jump high. <laughs> we want to make sure that everybody is employed and everybody is, uh, is making a good living. And at the same time, we work with them to reach their longer goal, whether that is going back to school, um, uh, sort of getting reaccredited, uh, earning more, more classes to reach where they need to be, or sometimes they choose to change their field and choose something completely different. Um, and so we, we work with them. Nur, we have time for one more, um, one more question. Sure. Commissioner Malenta. Thank you. I was just wondering if you have any individuals who talk about wrongdoing or mistreatment that they experience and is there something i apologize is there something that you offer for them on the like legally to help them if they are experiencing some type of discrimination because they're immigrants whether that's work pay or um just any of that because i'm pretty sure you'll hear it in storytelling we do actually um a lot of the discrimination that the newly arrived uh refugee families face is housing, believe it or not. Um, um, they um, let us know that their rent has been raised substantially uh, without them knowing um, they can afford, and, and the managers or the property managers are not treating them with respect uh, because of their uh, language barriers. Um, and so they're fearful, um, not knowing their rights, oftentimes they're fearful of uh, their um, credit being ruined for future rental purposes. And so when they come to us, we make sure to connect them, uh, for example, to our partner, legal partners. Um, uh, we are in partnership with ELAP, for example. Um, so we, we make sure that uh, we have workshops so they know their rights and, and that they know um, that they are not alone in this journey and that they have uh, uh, legal aid or, 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 or legal assistance uh, that can do that part. At times, it's also just the neighbors, really, not understanding them or um, uh, people looking at them uh, funny ways or saying things to them that uh, is not appropriate. Um, so when we hear that, at times we go into the neighborhood and, and try to build peace. <laughs> we, we make sure that people come together and understand each other's journey, be able to, you know, be able to talk and, and see where, um, where there's a space for them to connect in a human level. So we don't always jump into a legal scenario. We try to work on it in, uh, basically from a human point of view first. Um, and oftentimes we're pretty successful. Thank you so much, Nora. Thank you so much, Jen. Uh, let's give a little quick round of applause for our special guest tonight. Uh, thank you. You're very you are welcome.
Thank you for yeah, having me. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you for all the work you guys are doing. You're doing incredible work and you're welcome to stay if you'd like, but if you have other things you'd like to do tonight, you're more welcome to go as well. Thanks again. Thank you. Thank you. Great to meet you all. And, and again, uh, special thanks to Annie and Jen here uh, for bringing us to this space and for making uh, all possible. Thank you. Thanks, everybody. Next up, we have city staff joining us from the planning and building department to discuss the human services and housing elements as part of the 2044 comprehensive plan update. Please welcome senior planner, Lindsay Levine, senior planner, Scott Guter, and environmental program coordinator, Katie Hogan. Hello, thank you so much. Let me just share my screen. Okay, can you all see that? Yes, yep. Okay, great. So good evening. Uh, my name is Lindsay Levine. I'm here with Scott Guter and Katie Hogan to talk to you about the housing and human services sections of the comprehensive plan updates. Um, as mentioned previously, we're city staff from the planning department and we're really excited to be here tonight. We're gonna present some background information on the comprehensive plan, which we call the comp plan for short and then provide some background information on the housing and human services elements. And finally, we have some discussion questions and we really wanna open it up to you all and look forward to hearing from you. And I'll pass it over to Katie. Okay, great, thank you, Lindsay. Um, and good evening, commissioners, it's great to be here. Um, Lindsay mentioned, but my name is Katie Hogan. I'm the environmental program coordinator in the planning and building department. I'm helping with the coordination of our outreach and, and engagement for the comprehensive plan update. Uh, the comprehensive plan is a citywide plan that we're required to update every eight years to help guide future growth of the city. And during this update process, we're required to comply, comply with state regulations, specifically the Growth Management Act, as well as other regional and county-wide planning policies. And part of the requirements come from planning around growth projections for the region and ensuring that the city will be able to accommodate and plan for that growth over the next 20 years. Go ahead and go to the next slide there, Lindsay. Okay, great. Um, in the comprehensive plan, it's, it's really, it's an overarching kind of big plan that's meant to encapsulate a broader vision for the future of Kirkland and how we might see the city changing and evolving over the next 20 years. And by looking into the future, we're able to adapt and plan um, and really look at the comprehensive plan as our, our guiding document when we're considering um, policies and regulations throughout the city. And the comp plan is generally going to be really broad in scope, and it's it's really just intended as a guide that can be used across multiple departments in the city when creating regulations and different functional plans in the city. Uh, there are specific goals and policies in the comprehensive plan. Uh, these are really intended to provide clarity on what the desired outcomes and help to create objectives to achieve goals. So um, it's, it's a bit different than functional plans in that there aren't specific ordinances. It's not rigid and unchanging policy or specific in scope. Um, so it's really the vision for the future of Kirkland. Next slide. 
Okay. Thanks. Um, so I briefly wanted to touch on kind of where we're at in the process and what is coming down the road in the future. So we're currently in the, the thick of our public engagement and outreach phase. And what we've been doing is we've been trying to get as much community feedback as we can throughout this process through every outlet that we can think of. So that might be community surveys, attending community events in the city, hosting our own events, um, attending meetings like this one tonight. Uh, uh, organizing different focus group sessions. Uh, I think I actually saw that Shri was in one of our focus groups, so good to see you. Um, and this community feedback, it's really important to us. It really helps the staff um, increase the foundation for when we're going to update the elements, making sure that we know that the community's needs are met and that those needs are being incorporated into this plan. Um, so outreach will continue through a fall of 2023, um, although it'll kind of continue throughout this whole process. Um, after the fall, the staff will start to actually edit the elements in the comprehensive plan, and they'll look at different state and regional requirements, as well as the growth projection, projections for the area, which Scott will talk about a little bit later in the presentation, uh, and incorporating everything that we've heard from the community into the draft, um, the draft elements. And then finally, starting in the spring of next year, so spring of 2024 and fall of 2024, we'll bring the draft elements to planning commission. There'll be a public hearing and then it'll go to city council for final approval um, and everything will be wrapped up by the end of 2024. Next slide, please. Okay, so as I mentioned earlier, we're currently in the community engagement phase. So this graphic here kind of shows the waves of the community engagement. We kicked things off in December and January by hosting a big community visioning event, uh, as well as posting a public survey. And that was really to help update our vision statement in the comp plan. Um, and that vision statement kind of helps set the, set the stage for the rest of the comprehensive plan. So you can see here the different elements that are in the comprehensive plan, like sustainability, climate, environment, parks, transportation and land use, housing and human services, um, different city services and economic development. They're all broken into these five different phases. Um, and we're currently in the housing and human services phase, which is why we're here. Uh, and outreach has actually been extended for housing and human services through the fall. Um, we wanted to be sure to reach a lot of people that might not be around over the summer or might not have time to engage with the city. So we are going to extend that out a bit. And we're also aiming to have some community conversations in the fall with residents uh, at affordable housing sites, um, probably in a couple months or so, or potentially early fall, late summer. And then with each of these phases, we're doing as much outreach as possible, which includes focus group sessions with priority populations, public surveys, attending events at the city. And we're also doing a lot of work with schools um, like Washington High School and um, Juanita High School to help to try to incorporate the youth perspective. Next slide. And then last fall, we hired a consultant to connect, conduct an equity review and also to prepare a community outreach plan for us. So a lot of what we're doing stems from that work that was done in the fall by a consultant. And one of the major focuses that was identified in the community outreach plan was to try to reach in communities and work with communities that have been underrepresented represented in pl past planning processes. 
So this includes BIPOC communities, LGBTQIA plus communities, seniors, low-income households, those experiencing houselessness, youth renters, people with disabilities or accessibility challenges, and immigrant communities and those facing language barriers. So in order to try to reach these communities, what we've done, we worked uh, to kind of gather resources from all the departments in the city uh, to compile a big stakeholders list of different individuals and organizations that represent and represent or kind of help to elevate these, these voices. And then we've reached out to those organizations or individuals directly to see if they want to get involved in a focus group or get involved in other ways or just want to talk to us. Um, and we're also working with the city manager's office really closely. Uh, most of you probably know Erica Mascaro, the city's DEIB manager. Um, so we're working with her closely to try to build long-lasting relationships with these communities. Um, overall, you know, we're we're kind of learning as we go, and we've had pretty good su success so far with this strategy. Uh, we're still continuing to refine our ways, which is something we might ask you about at the end of this presentation, um, and really just finding ways to reach those communities and make it easy for them to be involved in planning processes without overburdening them. Um, so that is it for me. I'm going to pass the torch over to Scott Guter to talk about housing. Thanks, Katie. <clears throat> um, well, thank you. I feel like I'm definitely in the right place to talk about this uh, topic. Uh, I am uh, Scott Guter. I'm a senior planner working on the housing element. Um, so I am leading our city staff in uh, analyzing um, the requirements for the state and the region and um, and uh, and looking at our comprehensive plan with a very um, critical eye uh, related to um, the new requirements that have come down from the state. This slide right here is kind of showing you the projected growth um, in uh, the, the Puget Sound region. Um, it is you know, a very strong economic um, region that brings a lot of jobs and a lot of people here. Um, we are expected to grow by 1.5 million people and add 1.2 uh, million jobs in this region. Next slide. Um, you know, according to uh, Washington State Growth Management Act, cities are required to plan uh, for this growth. Um, Kirkland's share of this growth will require us to supply about 13,200 new housing units and accommodate uh, 26,490 new uh, jobs between now and 2044. Next slide. Uh, the new uh, GMA requirements mandate that cities plan and accommodate for housing affordable to all income levels. Uh, this uh, chart shows uh, where our greatest housing needs are. Uh, uh, with households that are either cost burden, severely cost burden, or in need of emergency housing. Next slide. As you can see, uh, the, co uh, the cost of housing uh, is beyond the reach of many ho uh, households in Kirkland. Uh, this chart uh, to the left shows the average rent um, and home price in Kirkland in 2008, when we uh, did our housing action plan, um, this is um, it, 
it shows that it is all above the moderate, at least moderate income household of a family of three. As the city plans to accommodate new growth, uh, new housing growth, uh, many factors affecting housing affordability must be also considered. Some of these include limited land, uh, available land, uh, stringent lending practices, rising uh, labor and material cost, lengthy permitting times, and um, restrictive zoning laws. Next slide. Another factor to consider is uh, the shrinking household size as a product of, of an aging population and low birth rates. Uh, this trend will continue to put pressure on our housing supply as more smaller households compete uh, for a limited housing supply. Next slide. Uh, the region is also becoming more diverse, um, a factor that affects who uh, we plan for over the next 20 years. Um, next slide. Um, lastly, cities um, must also review the comprehensive plan policies to address, uh, address disparate impacts of uh, the legacy of housing discrimination through racial covenants, redlining, and restrictive zoning. Uh, this, these um, affect a household's wealth, health, and access to opportunity. Uh, this chart uh, uh, disaggregates Kirkland's, co uh, cost, uh, Kirkland's housing uh, by um, um, uh, households by race and, and ethnicity. And it shows uh, where our needs are amongst those uh, demographics. Um, next slide. Um, there we go. To summarize, the new state requirements will require the city of Kirkland to assess our goals and policies to uh, plan and accommodate uh, housing affordable to all income levels, address zoning that may uh, that has uh, racial and disparate or exclusionary effects, um, address any patterns of disinvestment within the communities of our city and uh, identify displacement risk and establish policies that prevent displacement or reduce the hardship caused by displacement. Um, and I think the next slide is uh, over to Lindsay. Okay, so next I'm going to discuss the human services element. Um, and I realized maybe this wasn't clear before, but um, when we say element, it's essentially a chapter of the comprehensive plan. So um, human services has its own element, housing has its own element. Um, and actually, you are all very intimately familiar about <laughs> what Kirkland Human Services is. So I'm just gonna skip this one. Okay, so the human services element focuses on community members' quality of life through setting goals and policies to support cities' programs and services, especially for youth, seniors, low-income residents, um, definitely with the focus on unhoused residents and community members with disabilities, also from um, immigrant communities as well. And the human services element serves as a guiding document primarily for the human services division. So we're working very closely with human services staff. The element also includes goals and policies pertaining to diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging. So in the update, since the comp plan was last revised in 2015, we're incorporating high level goals and recommendations from the city's DEIB roadmap. 
since the comp plan operates at a high level. It's a vision for the future of the city. Also, as a part of the early stages of the comprehensive plan, as Katie mentioned earlier, the city retained a consultant to conduct an equity review. They reviewed several key elements, including human services, housing, transportation, and land use, and they provided recommendations that we will be incorporating all throughout the comprehensive plan. So while there's definitely um, an emphasis in the human services element um, on DEIB, we are definitely embedding it all throughout the comprehensive plan. And I highly recommend that you take a look at attachments three or four in your packet um, if you're interested to see what the existing housing and human services goals and policies from 2015 are to see the level that we're working with. Um, and these are the policy goals and policies that we will be revising and adding to because certainly a lot has changed since 2015. Now we have some discussion questions and we're really excited to hear from you all. Um, we extracted portions of the questions from the memo and also added um, some different questions as well. Um, and I know we don't have a ton of time tonight. So if you have any additional thoughts or if we didn't get to some of the questions, please feel free to email us personally um, or I'll also share there's an email at the end kind of general for the comprehensive plan. Um, so I know these are big questions and I'm sure like it'll, uh, you know, some things can come up later and we, we'd really love to hear from you all. Um, but with that, I will um, open it up to the group, um, starting with the first question, um, which is how do you think the housing element should respond to Kirkland's um, current and future housing needs? And we are, uh, we, we're taking notes in the background. We know this meeting is recorded, so we're, we're definitely gonna be looking at your input. Or if there's anything related to um, the future of housing in Kirkland that you wanna discuss. So I, uh, I'll, I'll leave it to the uh, presenters right now from the city staff. If you see a hand raised up, uh, please feel free just to call them. And the first person we have is Jonathan. Thank you, great presentation. I'm actually going to, at some point, we finish, go back on, hopefully you'll send the slides because there's a few that I'd love for you to take into more detail, especially that historical discrimination slide. Was, I'd love to know more about that one. But my question is really, it just seems like, you know, I've been doing this a long time and it just seems like we talk about affordable housing, we talk about the need for it, and it just doesn't seem to be getting better. We still have people that can't work, you know, that have maybe jobs in the city, but they can't live in the city. We have teachers who have to live miles and miles away because they can't afford to live in the area. It just seems like we need to do something radically different and uh, like raise the bar a whole lot higher. I know we're working with developers and it's, it's really challenging, but how are we thinking about this from a, like how do we change the whole dynamic and, and um, you know, and ra radically change the situation from a radical, from a affordable housing perspective? Thank you. That's a good good question. I I think we'll just continue to take questions um, at this point. But I can I'm more than help, happy to engage with that that question. But I didn't want to take too much too much time um, responding responding to the question. Um, we do have a lot of um, you know pressures as um, you probably saw on one of those slides that kind of affect housing affordability that are little outside of the control of the city. Sometimes they're they're market driven. 
Um, uh, there's a long uh, legacy of, of just, you know, underproduction of housing. Uh, there's just the fact that housing is not not another widget in the economy that we can just produce. It, it, it's limited by its land and its location. Uh, the economy within that that particular location uh, and the stresses that that come with that. So we have a very um, really tricky uh, problem to to solve here. But what we're trying to do with with as a region is to kind of put a regional approach to to this um, this problem and kind of and come uh, come up with a. Um, uh, a kind of uh, package of solutions that all the jurisdictions can get behind is we realize that, you know, the housing crisis doesn't stop at, at Kirkland. We could be the best at supply of putting a lot of housing supply in Kirkland, but that's not going to cause, and that's not going to re reduce the um, cost of housing if, if not everybody is on the same page. So that's the reason why the state has uh, put uh, acted and in 2021, putting new legislation out that requires us to to plan and accommodate and address the dispar uh, disparate impacts that are caused by um, by factors such as zoning and um, other other um, other uh, legacy in, um, uh, uh, effects uh, such as you know redlining. Um, that has been doc doc well documented that it is it has really kind of left a scar on many communities and populations. So it this is like one of those first steps that I think we that we're we're trying to we're trying to take. And so um, this is this is this 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 kind of in, interaction with the community is exactly what we're we're trying to um, um, we're trying to get down to the kind of local level of that and kind of address the local um, Kirkland specific needs and with our particular uh, population. So thanks for the question. Um, Scott, if you just maybe want to spend like one minute um, talking about the station area plan and the affordable housing um, incentives mm -hmm. and programs there, just because folks might not be familiar and it's a good example of um, policy that the city um, is working on and, and implementing. Yeah, so that's that is um, uh, the stationary is one of those um, areas where we're trying to uh, direct growth. This will be an area where we're going to be focusing a lot of jobs and housing um, into the specific area. It is uh, will be well serviced by transit um, and um, and also receive because we're directing growth in the specific area. We're actually receiving um, funding. Um, from the state to to help uh, with um, infrastructure that will uh, further um, uh, provide uh, services to um, the this this population that we're going to concentrate in this area. This very much very similar to what we have in Total Lake right now. Uh, how we're 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 addressing that is um, probably a, a number of years old and wasn't really uh, focusing on, on affordable housing as much in that particular area as it was on just generating economic growth. This is a little bit more of a mature um, approach as we're now looking to really, uh, really address um, 
with our goals and policies with the, within the station area, um, more affordable opportunities, a deeper level of affordable housing that we're trying to target in this particular area. Um, and um, I invite you all to kind of attend a special planning commission meeting that'll be held uh, at the end of the month. It's gonna be March 31st, and it will be uh, specifically talking about the for, uh, the inclusionary zoning that we're, we're, we're um, staff is recommending. It's the affordable housing requirements that we'll be placing on the market um, that um, we're hoping will uh, help to bring additional affordable housing specifically in this area. Thanks. You probably meant May, May 31st, Beth. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, May 31st. Yeah, sorry if I... Oh, you got it. Shira, uh, uh, would you like to go next? Yeah, um, I think you answered maybe some of what I was going to bring up with what you just talked about with Jonathan. But I think I was looking at the housing dashboard, and I, you know, if I look at the last four years, which is what the data is for, of twenty seventeen to twenty one, the target for affordable housing and what's actually done is consistently behind, and, it's, and the gap is increasing. Um, and so, the question really was, what are the barriers? What are we learning, and what are we going to do differently to kind of catch up, right? And then actually hit the goals for the long-term. So I, I feel like it's, you know, and maybe some of what you're talking about addresses that, Scott, but I'm just, that's the part for me that stood out when I was looking at that is just, I'm not understanding how we're gonna dig our, so we're in a deep hole. Are we, are we digging deeper? Are we actually doing something to get out of the hole? And uh, do we understand what we need to do? Yeah, I think we're, we're learning that right now. Um, like I said, um, when we were kind of, uh, uh, growing in the Totem Lake area, we were really concentrating on the affordability of that area. We definitely added a lot of supply in that particular area, but we did not, you know, really get um, a good amount of affordable housing. Um, and I think what we're trying to do at this point in time is is to pull out a lot of like, you know, uh, utilize a lot of the tools that we we. Um, have seen other cities uh, use and what are considered, you know, best practices in terms of like um, working with the market force, which, which you know, mark the uh, market developers are, are going to be creating a majority of the supply. And from a from our perspective, we have to kind of come up with you know the 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 right mixture of uh, of carrots. And to allow them to to you know get to a point where they uh, can still build and we can get additional affordable housing, not at the same rate that we were before, but at an, at an additional rate. So what we're seeing in stationary is is that we're adding a lot of a lot of capacity for for them in specific areas. Uh, we we're we're utilizing a lot of empty space that is. Um, been uh, that is along 85th that is about 40 percent of it is a parking lot and turning it into a little bit more of a productive land um, and with that asking for more than what we've uh, been traditionally asking for in terms of affordable housing and asking for deeper levels of affordable housing as well. 
Um, just on a on that related note, with all the bills passed in the recent legislature on housing, is that going to shift the needle in Kirkland? Does it impact Kirkland? Because what I also learned is that the bill doesn't over override neighborhood association policies. It cannot. And so a lot of neighborhoods have restrictions that will prevent the bill from even taking effect. So I'm curious if what if you have assessed what that impact is of all the latest bills that have come out of the legislature. Yeah, we haven't quite we haven't quite assessed like the that level of detail um, in terms of the homeowners associations creating those restrictions. Um, however, we have um, been a leader in in producing middle housing, um, and and uh, we were looked at as a model from the state to to uh, help with that. Um, it will affect certain areas within where that are receiving great access to transit, such as, you know, the station area. So we'll have to make some adjustments in areas where we weren't planning for that additional growth. Um, the state legislation, what we're hoping for with that, that work is, is that it's going to require all cities to get on board. And that kind of addresses the supply side of the housing crisis, which um, drives housing prices up. Um, so with everyone, you know, pitching in and producing uh, and, and producing the supply, we're hoping that, you know, in the coming years that we're going to start to see a little bit of a shift in what you're you're talking about and the afford uh, and how we're reaching our affordability targets. Commissioner Jenkins. Thank you. Okay, so I'm going to like feels weird making some suggestions, but I'm just going to make some suggestions. I am very familiar with some of the affordable housing in Kirkland and people and issues that everyday people are having that don't necessarily have the opportunity to talk to you. Um, and some of them really, really appreciate the affordable housing. However, because it's affordable housing, it's not maintained. And so it seems like it is affordable, but technically it's not livable where they're living with big holes in their ceilings. And they they take it, like the lady said, who was talking about the immigrate, the immigrants, because they just want, they're happy to have something and they don't want to be a problem or a burden. So I would just say like the affordable living in Kirkland, we definitely need more of it, but the affordable living that we do have, we need to take care of it and make sure that that's being well-maintained. Cause it seems like it's not some of the buildings that have been around longer. Um, and then um, I know some individuals who are low income, different type of mothers or gone through different situations and received section eight vouchers. And it's technically against the law for like anyone to not take those vouchers. And we have a lot of people who own houses in Kirkland that some of those vouchers will cover, but won't be willing to take them. Um, and so maybe there's something that the city of Kirkland can do to incentivize some of those homeowners that were willing to take in low income people maybe free up some space in some of those low income apartments by using some of our current current structures that are already here that people are running out to other people um, that are coming outside of Kirkland to try to keep people in Kirkland in Kirkland. Um, let's see, what else was I going to say? Um, and then one question. Um, I know a lot of times we, there's goals that are set and sometimes goals are set with the best intentions, but are also not realistic. So are the goals that we have set, are they realistic goals based off what's going to happen? 
Or even though that's happened, are there more realistic goals that we can actually meet versus not meet? And that's my whole rant. I know I dropped a whole lot of stuff in it. Well, that's a, a lot of really good feedback. Um, yeah, the ability to to meet um, the goals that we set uh, for the next you know uh, twenty years is it's always a it is a moving target. There are many things that that come out of the the, the comprehensive plan update will that will help to um, kind of re reassess. Um, where we're at, um, uh, you know, place a new compass point where we're going to be going um, as as we as we as we continue to grow and change as a city as a region, um, and um, so maybe some of those goals will just change or get or get a little bit um, more refined to. Um, allow for us to really um, get at the issues. Um, there are also, you know, programmatic issues, right? You know, just the level of staffing and the things that you can do within a, you know, a given period of time. Um, that That's the, the, the purpose of, you know, creating like these, you know, these action plans that are like set up like, you know, targets and uh, uh, give us like a, things to actually work on with these goals and policies are going to do is help to kind of inform like how we should approach housing. Um, and, uh, you know, from a, a, from a big picture lens. Um, so uh, over the course of time, we might, we might see that, you know, certain goals and, and policies will just have to shift a little bit um, based on our current, our current and uh, what we're perceiving as future needs. So, but we do these periodic updates every eight years, um, so we'll we'll have another crack at at this in another eight years to uh, to make sure that we're that we're you know still on target that we're that the goals that we set were realistic that the policies that we set um, can be can be um, can be uh, realized. Thank you, Commissioner. And that, um, yeah, we really appreciate the the comments. That's uh, definitely a major reason why we're here. But we are also happy to answer questions. We understand that um, not everyone's familiar with the comprehensive plan. And with that, Commissioner Luke. I guess this is more of a question for um, the Human Services Commission as well. But one of the things I was curious about is based off of the goals and the things that are set forward in the housing and human services element of the comprehensive plan, how does that then ultimately impact the grant making that we are uh, responsible for on the recommendation side? And does it change any of the information that we're collecting as a result of the grant making application process? So that we have a look back in terms of how some of the work that's going on with this commission and the recommendations that are being made tie back to the comprehensive plan. Um, over that period of time. I just I just don't know how that works out, especially if the comprehensive plan is being developed now in the next like year or two. And so just kind of curious about how that works. And no expectation of an answer here, but like at this point, if someone can figure out what that answer is and let me know, that'd be good too. I'll follow up with you and answer that question. So the planning folks can keep going unless you want me to answer right now. Uh, 
Um, I think it could be helpful for everyone to hear about how the plan or how, how okay. the two interact. Yeah. So as Lindsay had touched on with the slide with the human services element and how that intersects with the five community goal areas that we use to shape our priorities for each biennium. So ahead of receiving applications for each grant cycle, we will start um, with the previous list of priorities, which is often informed by different callouts within the comp plan. And so normally through, you know, creating different materials for the packets, we'll be able to give you kind of that background information that then helps inform the next cycle's priorities. Thank you. Commissioner Hamilton. Hey, uh, first of all, thanks for being here tonight. And the question I had was, uh, it's actually it's a request. Um, when I looked at the stakeholders that were being evaluated or considered, uh, many of them make sense looking housing people in the LGBTQ uh, plus community and people with various specific needs. And one request I have would be recent, uh, soon to be or recent high school graduates from the area. And the reason I say that is, uh, there are many friends that I, I know from when I graduated from Juanita, where they were either like myself living with parents. Um, otherwise, they had no hope of living in the community they grew up in. And I don't really know what could be done to help them out because the market's going to do what the market's going to do. But I think this is a specific need that as a person that lives in Kirkland, uh, I would hope that there at least would be some time and attention to look at whatever is going on there and to see if there's anything that could be done maybe down the road. Thank you. Jerry, just so I can ask, so I can understand, are you pretty much saying like recent, like people that are graduating need to be able to have housing that they can afford, but it doesn't need to be based on the same parameters that the affordable housing parameters might be based off of? Yeah, so I I don't expect everyone from like Lake Washington High School to receive like accommodations or support and anywhere near the same. Um, but I, I would like for the sake of planning uh, long term for the region that not just like Washington, not just Juanita, not just the local private schools in the area uh, or alternative schools, um, but throughout the region, just try to figure out uh hey um what are the barriers for youth from living in the region uh, and, and again for us that'd be kirkland within the region and is there anything that we can do to support them but at least Id identifying the underlying causes and i'm not asking for specific supports uh because i don't i don't know what the root causes are um but that's the request is to consider the groups to observe and just evaluate. That's great. Um, yeah, we have actually uh, just did some outreach with uh, Lake Washington High School students. Um, they have a civic engagement group uh, that they were doing a project for and they did a project uh, where they conducted um, a housing survey 
for the Wellington High School uh, population. Uh, they received, you know, I think over 150, 100 uh, and plus um, uh, responses, uh, both from staff and and from students. And you know, what you just mentioned there was 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 said loud and clear that they just they they don't feel like they can live in Kirkland after they graduate, um, and 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 are working uh, and part of the workforce. And so, yeah, that's. That's one of those things that we're going to definitely try to address um, uh, with many different tools. One of those being, you know, just providing a, a diversity of housing that is of a different, you know, different sizes, and and allowing for, um, you know, anywhere from, you know, young, a young student to be able to like live in Kirkland in a small, like, let's say, accessory dwelling unit to, you know, um, a, a young family just starting, starting up a young couple that wants to get a starter home. Um, maybe they would live in a cottage unit or, you know, some other kind of courtyard unit that, um, that we are, you know, we currently offer, we offer a supply in, in Kirkland. Um, what we're going to have to work on is like addressing the attainability, the ability to afford those types of units as as they come online. One uh, follow up request would be the surveys that I mean that you specifically address the concern I was talking about, and thank you very much. And that is amazing. One additional request would be if if it was not anonymous, to with the people's like permission to request a follow-up survey maybe every year every other year just to check in with them and that'd be the the other request i have it's a good idea shreem would you like to go next yeah i just had a, a suggestion to add and this is along the lines of what jewelry's talking about but more generally one of the things when i was looking at this was if you look at the classification of needs for housing, it seems to be based on AMI and you know, different levels of AMI, we need so much housing, which is one pretty one way to look at it, but it feels very broad based. It also feels like it would be useful to look at populations, like for example, older populations, their needs, they may have affordable housing needs, but the services they need are different or younger people, like what Jory was talking about, maybe they need more training or skills training, or other kinds of things. You know, so different populations are different needs. So you know, my suggestion would be to also classify affordable housing needs based on population needs, not just based on AMI. Yeah, we heard a lot. We heard some of that too from our, um, we uh, attended the senior council um, and uh, did a presentation of them. And they had a lot of uh, specific uh, um, housing needs themselves that were that relate to being able to age in place and and have a home that's you know not only not only affordable but accessible uh, to their various uh, needs as they get older. All right. Um, so, are folks interested in talking about some of the other questions we have up here? Uh, yeah. If we if we can go through it, I think that'd be great. Yeah, we'll get through as much as we can. Um, and we can start with question number two, um, which services are in greatest need by BIPOC communities and other underserved communities? I had a thought. Um, 
on um, the uh, underserved communities. I'm just wondering about seniors and uh, with the cost of housing, you know, they may own their homes, but then they get hit with the property taxes twice a year. And if they're retired on a fixed income, I mean, I was shocked when we moved into Kirkland, I bought a much smaller postage stamp lot, thought my property taxes were gonna be a lot less than the larger lot I had in Kirk in Bellevue. And I think it went up. <laughs> so, uh, and I can only imagine if you're on a fixed income, retired, how people are dealing with that. Is there a thought? I, and actually I have just one little quick story. I have a friend in, in, uh, who lives in a, uh, a county in Georgia. I think it's Cobb County, maybe Cherokee, where when you hit retirement age, you actually pay like an administrative fee and you say you don't pay property taxes. Like you say thousands and thousands of dollars once you're on a like fixed income retired. And you know, I thought it was really creative. I mean, I don't know how you support schools, but anyway, that's another question. But go ahead, Scott. Thanks, <laughs> ready. Yeah, so it was another thing that kind of came up and then in the senior council, uh, they actually have a program that uh, that they help seniors with taxes as 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 they're as they're um, you know dealing with that very same issue of like being on a um, a limited income um, and dealing with in increasing taxes, and so they have you know they have courses and uh, and 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 people that come in and and help with you know helping you get through all the you know, like the little tax you know, breaks that you can get with a, um, with a, uh, um, with, with just being an older person and having, and having the ability to, to take advantage of that. So it is something that I, I thought was, well, I've never heard of this before. And that would be great if, if, if Jonathan, if you haven't, you know, heard, heard of it or haven't heard of this, this program or what they're offering, maybe that's just something that we can highlight. And and make more um, transparent to our community that this is a service that can be offered. Um, it's in our community, and um, and uh, it can help people that are um, income fixed. Thank you, Commissioner Jenkins. Hi, I think that um, affordable housing is one thing, but I also think that especially if we want our community to continue to grow um, culturally as it is now, um, is incentivizing land ownership. So this isn't just going to be for people of color or people living in affordable housing, but how can we incentivize home ownership um, for people that are here or people that are going from an apartment to a house here or just someone new to the community that wants to buy um, I know there's like all type of like first time home time home buyer programs for like on a bigger level or on like a federal level, but there's any stuff we can do on a city level to incentivize people buying land and property um, and keeping it it's preferred because it's really hard for people of color to even consider that um, and a, a lot of those populations. Again, a very good suggestion. Yes, Commissioner, go ahead. Um, one of the, I mean, this is not directly to do with housing, but 
uh, access to transportation feels like a very critical element of, you know, for people, for the area to be livable. So thinking about transportation as part and parcel of building housing, I think is, is kind of a, an important consideration. It would be my suggestion. Absolutely. Thank you. And if there are other questions that we have um, on the screen here that are uh, that you have more thoughts on, feel free to jump in and answer any of them. Um, like for example, how can uh, comprehensive plan policies ensure that future funding for city services is more equitably redistributed? You can go ahead, Commissioner. Thank you. I didn't mean to raise my hand. I just hadn't lowered it. Commissioner Hamilton. I don't know if this is within the scope of what of the comp plan, um, but basically, if there's low income people, if if it's within the city's means to just give people of need money directly, I think that's probably the cheapest and easiest way to do it. Um, but that, that would just be my suggestion. Thanks for your comment. Go ahead. And I'm so sorry, Commissioner, I don't know how to pronounce your last name. You, you can just call me Shree. That's okay. fine. Um, so I wanted to kind of, again, I don't know if this is directly in connection with this, but you know, this notion of basic income, I feel like we need to have a discussion about it because it has been shown to have one of the biggest benefits when it comes to you know, helping people get to better places in their lives, helping people lift them out of poverty and do everything. So I don't know how that fits into human services or if it does, but it feels like it's something which you know, would be good to have a discussion about it at the very least. Thanks for the comment. Commissioner Liu. For what it's worth, I agree with that. I think it's an interesting topic that merits some discussion. I just don't know where it falls in the scope of the work that we have or, or which commission or council, but I wonder if that's something that merits some um, conversation. And then with regards to the specific question on equitable redistribution of future funding, I think um, probably some metric or measures that we could look at in order to understand where the money is going and how it's deployed is probably helpful. If there's like a dashboard or a report card after the fact, like not, not now, obviously, but like after as the things are done, how we're grading ourselves on on equitable redistribution, I think that would be helpful to incorporate, uh, if not already in existence. Thanks for the comment. Um, Jen, I'm not sure if you wanna jump in and uh, respond to that or we can just move on if that's what you prefer. I'll be completely transparent and let you know I was communicating with my team that we're shifting the agenda so I didn't hear the question. Can you repeat it? Uh, sure. It was related to uh, having a dashboard or a report card after the funding is distributed so that we could do a look back as to how it's more equitably, whether or not the funding was equitably 
redistributed and maybe a comparison of prior grant years versus future grant years just to and the current grant year just to make sure to see if we're achieving the equitable goals that we've set out that was that was all if it's not already being done which it may i didn't know because i'm I which is okay too I'm so. happy to share it is being done and I'll send the link to this group. So it, it looks at past funding as well as current funding. And there's a breakdown of who they're serving um, based on demographic data. Um, and I can give you some more background around how that came to be. But part of the intent was to make sure that we were equitably distributing funding um, to a diverse group of agencies and making sure that we're serving a wide array of populations with the funding that we have. Super. Well, I will link that in the chat. Thank you. Commissioner Jenkins. Yes, yeah, just a question. I know that like there's a lot of like affordable house owned by different communities, but does like the city own any affordable housing? Um, so like when you see houses going for sale or anything, does the city ever put money into that? So we have city affordable housing? that's beyond King County or something owned by another entity? And is that a possibility? Did you wanna take that? Yeah. Um, so historically, at least from the human services lens, we have funded affordable housing projects that have services on site. So ensuring that folks that are living there based on different needs can have the support they need to be successful and sustain housing. I know there was a conversation pre-COVID and it predates me um, around the city looking at having affordable housing um, for staff but I don't know what the current status of it is. I would have to do some digging and circle back unless other city staff know on the call. I'm not quite sure where the workforce housing uh, um, has landed yet. I do know that um, the city does um, have opportunities to pick up part uh, properties and, um, and we look at the ability to put housing, affordable housing on those properties. And we work with our ARCH and others that to help um, realize that uh, we also will even uh, conduct um, rezones to help with, you know, um, getting the maximum benefit out of that particular property. Um, there, the Houghton Shopping Center is one that city council is currently looking at. And, and really looking at at, at long-term affordable housing on that site as as one of the possibilities, as well as the Houghton. One of, one of the options was the Houghton Park and Ride, I believe, is also another one that they they're looking at, and they're considering that having affordable housing on it as well. But these will generally be um, partnerships with our um, affordable housing providers. The other partnership I will mention um, is our partnership with King County's Health Through Housing Initiative. So that's the La Quinta site that the county technically purchases, but the city was a critical partner in making that project happen and is continuing to engage and support the county in rolling that out. So, and thank you, Annie, for reminding me that in the chat. I have um, one more comment to say. Um, 
I know this sounds really crazy. I'm more thinking like in my philosophical mindset now, where sometimes I know you said something like we look at the property and we decide what is like, how are we going to maximize this? Does a city ever look at not the profits and like what's best for the best maximize? I know it sounds crazy. You have to really look philosophical at it and not, not from an accounting point of view, but do they ever just look like the better good for people and like, let's do this, even though it might not be the best financial move, it's still the best move for people? Well, I can't. Just a question. Just a yeah, question. Yeah. Or it's a good. Like, it's a good question. I I don't know all the nuances uh, that that go into making those decisions. Obviously, um, city council definitely wants to to move forward with producing as much affordable housing as they possibly can. And I think that would be if if that was the aim of of the purchase of the property. Uh, that would that was that would be what they would be looking to do. Obviously, there's when you deal with you know taxpayer money, you have to make sure that 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 is you know being uh, uh, used responsibly at this at the same time. So I think that that's um it's a it, it, there's a lot of there's a lot going in on that particular question, but I I think that that's that's a is a really good point to make. Thank you so much. Okay, we could maybe tackle or discuss the question um, number four about how can comprehensive plan policies ensure more balanced availability, of both reactionary and preventative services. Commissioner Hamilton. Can you clarify what some of those services would be in this context? I believe some examples are um, some of the um, like uh, shelter um, types of services um, are more are reactionary. Um, you know, preventative, I don't have um, the best handle on that. If anyone from human services staff could jump in. Sure, I can jump in or anyone else on the team. So one example, Dory, would be preventative um, for housing stability would be something like rent, mortgage, utility assistance. So it's prioritizing keeping someone in housing, recognizing when they lose that housing requires a lot more resources and capacity um, to support that household moving back into housing reactionary is important if they do lose housing. So that's our emergency shelters and other programs that are able to support a household once they've lost housing. So that's one example of, ideally we would prioritize, this is where I, I'm gonna give my, my little opinion here. We wanna prioritize preventative services as much as possible, but we also recognize the realities of the landscape that We've, we're, we've been talking about this evening and that reactionary is very necessary in order to provide that interim support to get folks back into housing. I, I would I would even go as far to say, you know, thinking further upstream to education opportunities, um, you know, employment, um, language access, all of those things. I mean, so pretty much, I mean, 
if you're really thinking about it, preventative can be, uh, I mean, across the spectrum of services that um, that are being funded by the city. Uh, Commissioner Melantha Jacobs. Yes, I was um, kind of on the lines with education, but to be more specific, I was going to say maybe there can be like some city ran um, like financial education that starts really young with the kids um, about purchasing land and doing certain things that will kind of keep them from ending up in this area and also for current individuals, pretty much for everyone. And I don't know if we do it already, but definitely kind of from you guys kind of saying this is where we are. This is how much it costs to be here. This is what you kind of would need to do at a young age to kind of grow from there and kind of tell them about different programs in that education. It has to be like a city of Kirkland education that align with some of the preventative or um, and say you incentivize buying houses in Kirkland if you graduated from one of the Kirkland high schools to try to keep our individuals there or buying condos at a young age. I don't know, just a way of like, putting that education in at a young age, specifically for financing or housing etiquette. I wonder how we can get some financial literacy in the, uh, the public school education system. That's such a, uh, yeah, would be so helpful for everyone. Thank you for your comments. Definitely note that down. Um, Commissioner Hamilton. Uh -huh. And more for preventative measures, uh, preventative services, especially I think through this this commission that's been generally what we we focused on. One idea that uh, Councilman Councilmember uh, Nixon had mentioned I think four years ago uh, was the idea that we we have a lot of housing, like well, we have a lot of rooms available that go unused in single housing units, and. Uh, building off his idea, I, I would like to see, um, again, it's kind of tough to know what's within scope or not, but one idea I would like to see is um, the city to consider any carrots we can offer to those single housing units to basically uh, open up a room or two, uh, particularly to uh, to victims of domestic abuse. Uh, to vulnerable populations or in general, uh, incentivizing single housing units to consider renting out. Uh, it, it just seems that we actually have the ability to resolve a lot of these issues. It's just based on uh, zoning that we run into a tougher situation than is really needed. Thank you. Excellent point. Commissioner Shree. You're muted. Yeah. One thing on that, it's a good thing that Zoom it tells you that you're speaking while muted. That's up. Um, so one thing here is, you know, I was I completely agree with Jen on preventative. I think that's critical to kind of say people don't get there. But I kind of have a little bit of uh, difficult thinking about as reactionary versus preventative because what I feel like is, you know, we have a continuum here. And so, you know, something like um, the, uh, you know, you get emergency shelter, that's almost like an ER, 
And from there, they have to graduate out into maybe transitional housing and they graduate out of that into, you know, maybe permanent housing of some kind of affordable housing. And then they have their own home. So just like a continuum. And so when we think of availability, it's availability across the continuum, not just, you know, you know, and I'm not sure how that's looked at today, but I, I feel like it's, 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 you know, we need to kind of look at it as people getting, obviously if they, if they already have a home, keep them there. But if for whatever reason they don't currently have a home, then how do we get them into a home should be, you know, the, and what's the best way to get them into a home and all these different things are, are kind of, you can say a part of the journey to get into a home. So I would like to look at it from more of that holistic point of view rather than something that's just a reactionary bucket. Thank you. Commissioner Hamilton. I had a clarifying question. Uh, it's not particularly for uh, question number four, but a, a more bigger picture question. It is uh, how, how it does the Kirkland and regional housing uh, shortage uh, compared to the national housing situation. Uh, the, the context is that I think there's a lot of people that would like to build equity to be to own something rather than just rent. And uh, maybe maybe I can't say that for everyone, but um, <clears throat> the the question again is how would you how would we compare the housing situation? or shortage in the region versus like maybe somewhere else in Washington or just the country as a whole? Well, the trends with, you know, a housing affordability and availability um, in, in Washington and, and more broadly along the West Coast um, have become very, you know, expensive. Um, more than you know our um, eastern counterparts and and uh, other states that that are that are out there. Um, a lot of this has to do with just the that we're just a very regionally um, we're just a popular place to live. We we generate a lot of um, high paying jobs here. Um, uh, like many other West Coast cities, it, and we have, you know, just a lack of of supply to 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 manage the uh, growth that's coming here. Uh, that uh, that comes with you know creating all the jobs. Um, there are places in other parts of of the United States that have you know a lack of jobs but excess of housing, so they're not having a housing. Crisis, uh, housing affordability crisis. Uh, they're just having a jobs crisis, and we're kind of experiencing a little bit of both because we have um, we have a jobs crisis as well because it's really expensive to live here, and therefore people are you know priced out of you know workforce you know like workforce level you know housing is just not available, and so that creates its own issues with um that are that that have a lot of other impacts such as you know um people living too far away from where they work and stressing our our transportation systems 
um, and creating other kinds of environmental impacts and pressures that you know that we're feeling greatly here in in this region and and all along the west coast so yeah so there's a lot of there's a lot 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 in that um but yeah we we're dealing with a not a unique problem but one that's specific to the type of economy that we have here in the pacific northwest thank you Commissioner Stutz. Stutz. Hey, thank you, Stutz. Um, so I'm going to go off script from the questions and just ask a question about um, for the you know the comp plan. Is there? I'm just thinking about the systemic issues that are driving all of the issues and kind of root cause. And would it be uh, appropriate to have in the comp plan? The, the work that's been done, for example, with this commission, we've worked really, we've been very intentional about the diversity of the members of our commission. And I'd love to see that happen through all commissions and boards. I haven't looked at the demographics of, of, of the different commissions and boards, but I, it's, you know, with that, like so what I'm thinking is if we can drive greater diversity through all the commissions and boards, it's a pipeline to city council. So we can have the city council increase diversity so that we actually have the outreach that you're doing is great and it's so important. But if we have people at the table who are actually driving the policy, making the policy and, and funding these, these uh, issues that actually have the lived experience, it seems like um, it would be a lot, um, you know, a lot better, right? So um, would something like that be a part of the comp plan? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that's a great suggestion for like uh, actually a policy that could be in the human services element. Um, and we also have um, in the in the element above the uh, in the section above the goals and policies, we have background text and um, uh, text that talks about work that's been done in recent years. Um, so as part of the update, we're updating that language too. And um, you all have, uh, and the Human Services Division has done a lot of fantastic work um, since 2015. So um, yeah, we're definitely gonna be updating that. And I think um, it'd be fantastic to include some lessons learned um, about um, about how yeah, Human Services Commission um, has been able to do that and, and form the diverse board, um, yeah. So Thanks thank you. And so just as a follow-up suggestion, I know in the work that, that I do is, is tracking data is key. So if we are tracking um, as many demogra you know, demographics as we can with the, the folks that apply, the folks that are selected, then we can start measuring, you know, overall, are we getting better? Are we getting worse? How are we doing in these, in these areas? So, you know, you just think of all the demographic data that would be, um, you know, really helpful to understand the diversity of our community and the boards, commissions, and council. Thanks. Great point. And also sounds very relevant um, related to um, the city manager's office and the DEIB manager. I'm sure that's something that she'd love to hear about too. And one last thing, city staff, like <laughs> growing the diversity of the city staff, right? Right. Thanks. Absolutely. Uh, Commissioner Shree. I wanted to kind of bring up the or talk about the question, the number five here, which is community engagement. Um, um, and, you know, 
it's part question, part suggestion. Uh, I would say what's really important is obviously to hear from as diverse set of voices as possible. And you know what I've heard so far is of two main vehicles of engagement. One is uh, surveys, the other are focus groups. And I am concerned that they both have significant limitations. Like I, as Katie mentioned, I was part of a focus group. It was a lot of work. And you know, a lot of people are not in a position to be able to devote hours to kind of answer a focus group. And I think the kind of voices they hear are probably voices like mine, maybe voices that are more privileged. So um, and similarly with survey, you need some tech savviness, you need access, you need to have a computer, you need to be able to respond. So question really is, how can we be more creative in engaging with communities? Maybe do more community discussions, presentations, go to community centers, town halls. Is there thought and discussion about those kinds of things just so we can increase and you know present it in a way that's that's consumable easily for people so they can give feedback and give their voices based on their experiences? Uh, because I just feel sometimes I'm a little concerned that there's too much of a ivory tower kind of voices that are able to speak are the ones that are heard and the ones that are not very, that's, you know, that are, you know, are not in a position to be able to speak for many different reasons, could be language, could be time availability, other kinds of things, their voices are never heard. I can go ahead and chime in on this one. Um, thank you, Shri. That's a really great comment. And something that we are trying to work through. And so we are trying to attend more events that are already existing in the community, going to different community centers, libraries, um, really that deep theme of meeting people where they are because we completely understand it's a burden to have to come to City Hall and have access to technology. Maybe English is not the first language. We are looking at in the fall setting up a workshop uh, that would provide interpretation for the workshop, and it would really focus more on hearing people's lived experiences as opposed to planner speak as much. Um, so we are starting to look at how we can make planning more approachable where we're not talking about necessarily, you know, what do you think of this policy, but really understanding what is important to them in their community and what, what they would like to see in the community. And from there, we can take that and, and build out recommendations for the comprehensive plan through that information. So we're, we're certainly working toward that. And Erica Mascaro in the city manager's office, that's one big thing that they're trying to accomplish. Um, through the Kirkland Initiative is helping people understand local government, um, helping them understand how you can get involved. It, it seems, I think, a little daunting to a lot of people to come to a planning commission meeting or come to a city council meeting or a human services commission meeting. So we're really trying to make it approachable from in multiple levels, but we have a lot of work to do. And this year, during this comprehensive plan update, we've done a lot more than we've done in the past. And we're still trying to build on that and find ways that we can best access people and make it easy for them to provide us with feedback um, about planning within the city. Thanks, Katie. That's really good to hear, you know, reaching out to people with those lived experience voices. I think that is so critical. So that really, I'm very encouraged to hear you say that. Thank you. Glad to hear it. All right, so um, that will be all for the um, discussion portion. I will just quickly wrap it up now. Um, 
by saying that um, we have a couple of different ways that you can stay in touch about the comprehensive plan. Um, visit our website and we'll try to have someone drop this in the chat. You can sign up for email alerts. Um, we also, um, you can reach out to us directly via email or through this um, comprehensive plan email if you have further thoughts about anything we discussed tonight or anything related to the housing and human services um, elements or honestly really any aspect of comprehensive plan engagement too. Um, and then as part of the housing and human services um, element, we have a survey here. We'll try to drop the link in the chat as well. Um, I think it should only take five to seven minutes, but we are advertising this widely. We're trying to get a lot of input. Um, and this is uh, definitely an alternative uh, for participating in a focus group that's very time consuming. This is a, a we're hoping a much quicker and more approachable way to to give us some direct feedback. Um, and please feel free to share this widely. Thank you so much for your time tonight. We really appreciate your comments. They're very insightful and we're taking note of all of it. I think that I'm gonna reverse that and thank you and the city staff for the great presentation Q and A. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you everyone. Thank you. Thank you. Do we have any commissioner reports? Commissioner reports going once. Commissioner reports going twice. Okay. Is there any uh, staff reports or announcements? Um, I was just hoping to quickly um, share out, there's going to be an event coming up, Eastside Civic Leadership Awards Ceremony. Um, that's going to be in Bellevue, and that is being put on by four tomorrow. Representatives from uh, uh, Amazon, sorry, it's late. Eastside for All, Pano Pursuit, um, MCNA, and IACS. Um, this is to um, celebrate civic leadership um, award winners, one of them being your very own Gabby Lopez Vasquez. So um, I am nice. going to be sending out the invite link um, via email tonight and hopefully folks can show up. I know staff will be there. So um, make sure to check out the registration on Eventbrite. And that's all I have. Jen, do you have any reports for us? Yeah, just to quickly build off, if if there is interest in attending that event, if you can let us know that you register, because we need to be mindful of how many commissioners do attend. So um, if you can just let us know so we can track that on our end, that would be appreciated. Um, let's see, what do I have here? Not a ton. Um, code of ethics forms. I have sent two emails to folks um, asking for you to sign the forms. So it's something we have to do every year. Um, so I would appreciate if you could sign those and get those back to me as soon as possible, ideally by the end of the week, if you can. Um, if you're having issues with signing electronically or anything, let me know. Um, but I would love to receive those by the end of the week. And then the only other item that I had was for next week, next month's meeting um, that is in person again in council chambers. So um, hopefully folks are looking forward to that. Um, we will have snacks and beverages. 
um, try to build a little bit of flexibility into the schedule, recognizing it's a joyful time when y'all get to be together. So, um, yeah. And I recognize we also, uh, had an agenda item that we were not able to get to again, but that conversation was lively. So we figured the presentation on the city's approach to homelessness is important and also not as time sensitive as the comp plan. So we will look at rescheduling that on a future agenda. We're already full for next month, but we will look at coming back uh, once we have some time on the agenda. Uh, Jenna and Annie, could you answer Sreem's question in the, the chat through the chat? Jonathan has a quick uh, report for us. Yeah. So we actually don't have the ability to run hybrid um, in council chambers because of the level of staffing that it requires. So currently council meetings and I believe planning meetings are the only meetings that we're able to host hybrid in council chambers. Um, we can look at potentially doing it in Peter Kirk. Um, but it does require pretty significant staff lift. So I'd have to circle back on that. Um, but if that's a significant need, we can look into it. Jonathan, um, would you like to give us your report? Sure. Um, we used to be able to dial in, Jen. But anyway, I'll just, as we can, in. So we can dial in kind of like the good old days, right? Like pre-hybrid meetings. So we can do a call in, but it's the video function that requires a little bit more effort. So yes, you are correct. Thanks. Um, just, I forgot to mention in the commissioner reports um, that um, a few of us attended the uh, community appreciation event where all the boards and commissions are um, showing appreciation by city staff and council. Um, uh, Gabby and I were, I think the only ones there from our commission and, and the team. Um, it was great. Uh, the city staff was, really entertaining they did it like a uh, kind of academy awards uh, night and uh, jim lopez uh, led it it was just and they all day all the council members danced and presented and staff was in there uh, erica mascaro anyway, it was great i just want to encourage you all next year they do this every year and they show appreciation for all the commissioners and boards uh to be recognized for their work and uh, they recognize people who stepped off their uh, their you know their tenure what have you so anyway, it was great and just uh, highly recommend it for next year when you get that invite. Uh, it was a lot of fun. Okay, that's it. Thanks. Thank you, Jonathan. Are there any more reports? Do we have a motion to adjourn? I'll motion to adjourn. Do we have a second? I'll second. Second. And with that, at 8.32 p.m., our meeting is adjourned. Thanks, everyone. Thank you. Thanks, Thanks guys. Great Thank meeting. you. Good night.